Welcome to the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign. I'm the young Grognard, and my friends and I will be playing in some bonus quests for this campaign. Quests outside of the typical virtuous and heroic nature of our usual adventurers. Let's meet these villains now. I'm Anthony. I'm going to be playing Baro Rahal, the human oathbreaker. I'm Ryan. I'm going to be playing Vasturge Olague, the human wizard. I'm Jared. I'm going to be playing Bendarshi, the bugbear rogue. And now, let's see what sorts of evil they have in store for our heroes. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard. And I'm kicking it to you live with an episode, a bonus episode, for the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign. Uh, this, for in the spirit of a spooky season, we have some uh, evil-ish flavored characters. I mean, I, I've heard there's some neutrality amongst our ranks, but uh, we're, we're going to do a little bit of a bonus episode with some newer characters that we've never heard of before in an alternate quest line in the same timeline. So things are going to get a little funky and a little weird. So I think the best thing to do right now would be to introduce our characters. I'm Anthony. I'm going to be playing Baro Rahal, the human oathbreaker. I'm Ryan. I'm going to be playing Vasturge Olague, the human wizard. I'm Jared. I'm going to be playing Bendarshi, the bugbear rogue. I love how you like tripped over that name a little yep, bit. Who came sure up with did. that name? It was Ryan, wasn't it? Yeah. Bendarshi. And I'm and I'm young Grognard, Grognard the young, and I'm kicking it. No, I'm just kidding. Human Dungeon Master. But anyway, okay, uh, so I mean, before we start the quest, I guess the little intro that I gave you guys a little bit here was that we were going to be having swords meeting summer. Oh, yeah, the quest name, Pure of Heart. Anyway. So anyway, the, the group here are a group of swords who are meeting a stranger at a tavern known as the Flying Buttress in the town of Mosren in Amaroth, Str- smack dab in the center, the heartland of Amaroth. Um, for everybody who's listened to the show up to this point, it's literally like the dead center of everything. So it's equidistant from Glory Wake all the way over to Eagle Heart. It's just smack dab in the middle of everywhere. It's very much so like a, a country-ish area. Big forest. This is kind of smack dab in the middle of it near a lake. But our party are looking to meet with Halfin in uh, Moss Ren. Apparently he's hanging out at the Flying Buttress and he has word about a very fancy and important job for you guys to do, where you can make a lot of money doing something that you're not supposed to be asking about. The one stipulation that you all know of is you're not supposed to talk about it with anybody and under the most strict secrecy, you're supposed to travel out here. Don't even ask for health and just show up at the place at the time you're supposed to, which everybody should be showing up there right on time. Now we agreed that everybody's coming in together is that true, or is Barrow coming in on his own? Uh, Barrow will probably arrive a little bit separately, but precisely on time. Oh, fair enough. That means you guys are tardy. How about that? Look what look what uh, look what Barrow just did. Sowing yep. the seeds, party distrust right off the bat. You're earlier on time. Yeah. Got to know the yeah. rules. <laughs> Leave it to the paladin to be the tryhard who's there on time and like 
<laughs> a paladin is there exactly when he intends to be. Um, okay, so what about a Vesturgeon Bendarshi? Bendarshi. Is it Bendarshi? Bendarshi? Bendarshi. Okay. Bendarshi. It was much easier um, the second time saying it. Yeah. Anyway, I'll forget it. Don't worry. So how do you two know each other? Uh, well, Varsturch is a archaeologist slash anthropologist um, for his own benefit. Um, and he Indiana often Jones. will recruit the aid of local youth for exploring and checking out dungeons that he's found. And is he an old guy? He sure is. He's about 67. <laughs> oh, um, snap. Yeah, so he re- recruits local youth uh, to help him explore dungeons and whatnot, mostly for them to find the traps. What they do with once they found the traps is their business, but he pays them pretty much a pittance. Once the dungeon is free and clear, he'll go in, grab artifacts, everything he's interested in, any knowledge he was looking for, and that sort of stuff. And Ben Darshi uh, was a young bugbear that he picked up in Dustwind about five years ago that was very proficient at coming back alive from exploring these dungeons. Uh, most of the children weren't, oddly enough. Um, you keep using this word children, and I feel like this episode keeps shifting in its own alignment just the more you say children. Hey. So this Anyway, <laughs> this baby infant Bendarshi who I brought with me. Yeah, uh, so since Bendarshi had a knack for it, uh, Vastrich has just kept him around. All right, so then what's Bendarshi's story? I know you're there as an accomplice, but I'm saying you had to do something before this. I mean, he was an archaeologist, and t- he t- found t- you to do the job. But yeah, like... typ- typical orphan kid trying to swindle people out of, like, money to get food and stuff. And which race is he? Bugbear. Okay, so he's, yeah, so already he kind of had a shitty hand in that whole social structure but okay i mean it makes yep, sense yep. and yeah it was just good at being sneaky and okay i mean it sounds bugberry enough yeah um, just scooping people's money off of them if they decided not to give them anything <laughs> very good um so uh what's the alignments we've got for you two again not that it's super important but just so i can orient my own head on it vast search is uh just evil neutral evil very good. He he and, is and, very uh, much uh ends justify the means kind of guy in yeah. his pursuits. Any number of boats can get you to China, but we're taking the evil one. It's a any, any number of, of orphans can create a land bridge <laughs> to get you to China. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's so messed up. Anywho, what about uh what about Bandarshi? What's his alignment? Uh chaotic evil. Oh, good. Really, really covering our bases. Uh, so what's a what's Barrow's a whole story? Uh, so Barrow was a knight of Ascabellum, but, you know, may a combination of you know, a kind of a brutal upbringing with his father and the fact that he just really, really liked war and bloodshed meant that they didn't want to let him be a knight anymore. Uh, and so he found his own way to keep fighting and has for most of his life 
And now he's like on the wrong side of 40 and a captain. And Jesus Christ. Yeah. Everyone's playing out like a drama on your side of it. I mean, I know Vesturge is really not winning any any prizes by looking for children to do his bidding. I'm just picturing a conga line of children running into the trap filled corridor. Yep. <laughs> Just rolling gold go, pieces go, go, down go, the go, hall go, and go, 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 go. Meanwhile, Barrow over here has got like monologues galore. Just every once in a while stops and looks at the sunset like, how about that, dad? Did I do enough fighting today, dad? At least <laughs> so anyway, you our... dad. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. You know what? This is why we don't have evil campaigns. It's just a group of edge lords and a creepy old man. Yeah, I very, I very specifically wanted to play an evil character who would kind of get along in society. Everybody needs mercenaries. <laughs> and, True. you know, a person who will go fight whoever for money isn't exactly a good person. Yeah, and Bandarshi is filling that slot. Like, everybody needs a rubber-boned child to throw into a room full of traps. Like, it's just, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good. You, everyone's got to have that kid who's a l- little bit evil. <laughs> I will say uh, Vesturch is a onomancy wizard, meaning he studies the power of names, and that's all, what a lot of his research is into, is trying to find out names and true names of powerful creatures, deities, things like that. So a lot of his digs and different dungeons he's delved into has been for that explicit purpose, because he believes that if he collects enough names... He will be able to, you know, make some deals and use that to his advantage. Commanding the demon children by knowing their names. I get you. True naming the children. All right. He is the one who gave Bendarshi his name. Full name. <laughs> oh, Bendarshi Taranhawk, which, infer- which in Infernal means useful tool. That is, <laughs> I, I'm canceling this episode. This was, this was nice. They got uh, they got hit by a medieval bus, and that is that is the end of this episode. I'm not having useful tool. <laughs> no, no, we're gonna say that that's that's a bastardization of the translation, and instead it means necessary friend, and we're gonna leave it right there. <laughs> that's that's it. Bendarshi means necessary friend in celestial. Um, so with that. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Well, if that didn't throw me off the groove, I don't know what will. So anyway, y'all meet in the tavern. No, I'm just kidding. So Barrow shows up most uh, quickly out of all of you guys. I imagine pushing through the door first as Vesturch and Bendarshi pull into the uh, rain-soaked town in the evening as you guys were instructed to come to the Flying Buttress to meet with Halfin uh, in the dead of night. So Coming into this place, there's very few people in here at all, probably six or so people in the entire tavern. Uh, The tavern itself is not a super big space, but it seems like it's like the tavern in a town, meaning that like it's it's well enough sized. As you walk in, there's like two full size tables, two circular tables, a full bar, a bunch of casks set up against the wall, a bunch of small tables, like 40 chairs in total in this place. Total ground space in here is it's pretty reasonably large. It looks like this place could host like 50 or 60 people if it had to. But you all are aware that Halfin is in one of the private areas in the back. 
and he is not to be found in the front area. So as you guys were instructed to entering this place, you knew to go to the back area. So as soon as you walk in, the innkeeper is this gruff red-haired man, and as you guys walk in, he gives a quick nod, recognizing weapons and armor on you guys in a town full of woodsmen. It's not common to see people wearing what I imagine would be plate armor or whatever you guys happen to be wearing. So it's definitely something he's like, oh, you guys. So he gives kind of a quick little nod and points his eyeballs to the corner where there's a, a door close to the hearth and gives you kind of a nod to head in that way. So Barrow is obviously the first one to go in there. And he arrives about 30 seconds before Vesturch and Bandarshi do. So is there any particular way you guys come in or is it just kind of like quickly, quietly heads to the ground? Barrow kind of marches in fairly bold, especially because, like you said, it's impossible to miss him in full, but, like, surprisingly quiet plate. It doesn't, like, rattle around or anything. Sure. And he and uh, one of the items uh, I picked up for him was the Dread Helm. So, you know, it's like a samurai-style helmet in terms of the shape, but it's got, like, horns and a face mask that sort of look like a black dragon and the eyes glow. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine that he he uh, missed this. Yeah, so no, he he definitely is like, oh, you must be the people who are secretly meeting in the back. People wearing black dragon helmets of fear don't often just meet. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Back there. Clearly, you're here for our drinks. Um, but okay. Yeah, I think uh, Vesturch sort of enters before Bandarshi uh, sort of brushes off the rain, dries himself out, slowly starts packing a pipe, notices that Bandarshi hasn't entered yet. Well, come along, Benny. We've got to get in soon. They're expecting us. Isn't that a trope in like Godzilla movies and kaiju movies to have the Benny, like the annoying little child who's always like, oh no, oh no, it's the monster. Like, is this this literally what's happening right now? (laughs) And uh, as he waits for Bendarshi to enter, he's gonna start packing a pipe now that he's out of the rain and can pack dry tobacco and whatnot, or whatever the fantasy equivalent of tobacco is. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, Bendarshi's gonna kind of go right behind him, but uh, wants to kind of sneak into the back as quiet as he can because he stands out a little. I was going to say, speaking of standing, how much taller is Bendarshi than everybody else? Is he full like seven feet? No, no, he's he's six foot six because he's still a child. (laughs) Which naturally, yeah, okay, great. How about (laughs) Vesturge? How how tall is is he? Uh, If he stood straight up, five, seven in his old age, kind of hunched over a bit. So he's more around like five, four. He's like Farnsworth. Yeah. Eureka! <laughs> Just run around throwing children into traps. Useful to a uh, necessary friend. Good news, um, everybody. <laughs> what, a, what about Barrow? How tall is Barrow? About six even, but some, uh, a little bit of that might be the armor. <laughs> okay, and... All right, perfect. So with that, you guys see the door close to the back area and the innkeeper gives the same sort of terrified look seeing the uh, bugbear into the establishment with old man kind of directing him. A sinister sort of look on the old man's face as he enters packing the pipe as if he walks in confidently owning the place. And he gives you guys the same general look and points to the back. Can I get a perception check from you two? Peep and I. 
that's a one. Not Nat. Two minus one. Fifteen. <laughs> okay. So the fifteen, you can tell, perhaps just because you're so used to it, all the patrons that are still in here give a glance at you as you guys walk in, specifically in your direction, and then looking over at Vesturge. But with that, nobody seems to be like stalking you or like ogling, but like very clearly people look up from what they're doing to give you a look and then go back to what they're doing. Um, so with that, did you guys want to head into that back area too? Yeah. Might as okay. well. Perfect. So as you guys head off into this back room, I got to ask a question. Uh, what is the familiar area, the familiarity you guys have with Amaroth proper. I know I heard Barrow was cool and keen with the peoples of Ascabellum, but what's the deal with you guys, uh, Vesturch and Bandarshi? Are you guys more of just like kind of all around? I heard Dustwin brought up. Yeah, I mean, Vesturch likely has traveled most of the continent proper and maybe even over to uh, Ascabellum at different times, just uh, going to various ruins and sites of interest that he's found out about or heard rumors about or been led okay. to one way or another so he's sort of he doesn't have like a place he moves around okay is that pretty much the same for bendarshi yeah i mean he he's only been with him for the last like five years or so, so okay but still that yeah. it would mean that he's been traveling around a bit in the continent yeah. okay so you guys know also as of late that um both uh Glint and Gabora have been taken over by the Iron Maelstrom and you guys being on the more seedy side of things also know about the march on uh, Eagleheart and the march on the Queen's capital. So it's definitely been a hard time for everybody to travel around comfortably, but you guys being traveling where you are and moving around in the north, going to Cooperford or, you know, Moss Run or whatever, or Denville Borough, um, it's been manageable for you all traveling this way. But does anybody have history? Yes. All right. Can I get a history check real quick? Twelve. Did I get a nod from Barrow as well, knowing history? Or are you too angry for that? Uh, no, Barrow does not have proficiency in history. Okay. So with that, with the twelve... Um, you don't pick up on much in this next scene. But what happens is as you guys walk in, you see Barrow sort of adjusting himself to sit down in one of the wobbly-legged seats over here by a table sitting by one of like the slight entrances to the hearth. The hearth in this room sort of is bisected by the wall, sort of separating this room from the main area. And there's like a small porthole on the side of it where, you know, warm air can blow through from the fire. But this is definitely like a secretive little side area, more of a closet converted to a small space that people can meet in. But as you guys come into here, you can tell very clearly that there is a man who is sort of hiding in the shadows. And now that Barrow's entered, he pulls back a hood and he says, are you the ones who are given the message? Indeed. And he says, who have you come here to speak with? Uh, can you just say the name again for me, Dan, real quick? <laughs> oh, I'll give an inspiration point to anybody who remembers his name. We're looking for a man named Halfin. Ooh, inspiration point right now. And so with that, as Barrow comes to sit down, old man Vesturch steps in profoundly with his pipe, smoking a little ring in front of him, and he mentions Halfin's name. And with that, he says, good, take a seat. 
And as you guys all take a seat around the table, is there any bit of information you want to give me about how you sit down in here? Uh, so yeah, yeah. When Bar when Barrow sits down, you know, he pulls off the helm and sets it down right next to him. And underneath, you know, like the big scary faceplate is just like a relatively normal looking human man, uh, with <laughs> with you know uh, short graying hair and you know some old battle scars and stuff. Fair enough. He's just an Andy looking guy. Okay. Yeah. What's the uh, garb on Vesturch look like? Uh, since he just came in from the rain, he had a hooded cloak over. As he sits down to make himself comfortable, he pulls the hood back, revealing a man with fairly tanned, weathered skin, as if he spent most of his life out in the sun or in exposure to it. Uh, fairly balded head, but he has a ponytail in the back that goes down most of it, the way down his uh, back, and he has a short but prominent white beard. Okay. What's the deal with Bendarshi? Bendarshi? Uh, I mean, it's a bugbear, so it's just like brown fur, brown eyes. Uh, but he'll it, stand behind wherever uh, Ristreach uh, sits, so. Okay. And like, is he wearing armor or anything, or is he just kind of wearing like a tunic? Yeah, he has he has some uh, some leather armor on. Okay, kind of unassuming looking, or is it like black studded, spiky, blood covered armor? It is. I was gonna say, is it just kind of like workman's armor? Like it just looks like a guy who wears leather, like anybody else would for protection. Yeah, pretty much. Just very unassuming. Fair enough. Yeah. So as you guys sit down and see this man pull his cowl back, you can see that this guy himself looks probably kind of similar to Barrow, but he has sort of a pained look to him. Can I get an insight check from the party real quick? Eleven. Be at thirteen. That'll be a one plus two three. That one. Pretty good. I've well, rolled a one, a two, and a four so far. So you're getting them out early. Pretty so huge. Barrow and, and Bandarshi can both tell this man's expression is pained. And you can tell underneath his robes, he seems to be wearing some, I don't want to say it. Everybody can see that he's wearing some sort of like armor underneath it. I don't want to say like paladin's garb, but it's like chainmail. Um, and you guys can tell, I guess, can I get a perception? Check? Oh, an investigate check. We'll do that one. That'll make more sense. Come on, you got this. I believe in you. Uh, 25. Natural 20. Okay. I just got a lot of numbers all over. I heard a natural 20. What else did we get? A 19. 25. Damn. Damn. So everybody being kind of intrigued by this old man's look and his paint expression, everybody looks to the little hint of armor they can see underneath, and the tiniest smidge of what you can see underneath reveals something of a brandish, something of like a heraldic symbol of the kingdom of Amroth, specifically the council of Eagleheart. And so seeing like the very hinted colors and patterns on here and looking at this old man, he adjusts his robe a little bit. So it's a little bit more hidden. He says, I come to you with a proposition from people who are willing to pay good money. I'm very grateful to have you all come here exactly following the instructions. 
but I warn you that this job is not for mere amateurs or people who have not done this sort of work before. This is a job that I think most people would die during. I think most people would not make it back. I entrust that each of you have the skills and the abilities to survive harrowing fights and getting your hands a little dirty along the way. Again, those of you who got the 10 plus, he looks pained by saying this as well. And so with that, he says, it is necessary that you retrieve the heart of Athmanes. It is lost deep within the spell sanctum. The spell sanctum can be found deep within the town of Denvilboro, beneath the library. This is not the kind of place people will just let you tread into. And so I'm hoping you have the skills and ability to gain entry to such a place. Unfortunately, is protected by the Tome Guard, which is why I have requested such secrecy as coming to this place without addressing anything to anybody or having this job known to anyone. The Tome Guard, having heard any signs of the heart of Ethmanese being looked for, they're hot on our trail and they will do anything to stop us from this task. The heart itself is an artifact from a lost era, a goddess herself, an artifact left behind that my master wishes to find. If you can bring it back, you'll be rewarded handsomely. Each of you will have many thousands of gold pieces, treasures beyond what I think you have all experienced in your lives. If you can survive such a quest, you will be happy with what you reap for reward. But I warn you all, Again, if any word of this comes back to my payers or it comes back to my master, we will not recognize any of you and we will have you killed. Do I make myself clear? Perfectly. Seem to remember the last king had similar stipulations when he hired mercenaries. And he says, I'm very glad you know your history. And it will serve you. And the reward? Thousands of gold pieces. Depending on how well you do and how impressed my master is, if you can retrieve this item, you could probably earn somewhere around 5,000, 10,000 gold pieces, perhaps a parcel of land. My master is a very wealthy and powerful individual, one you would not wish to earn the ire of. So I promise you, you will be rewarded. I have little use for that much coin at this point. More of a burden than a reward, but perhaps you can speak to this master of yours and find out if he'd be, if they'd be willing to grant me the rights to, uh, certain ruin in the forest of the wandering swordsmen that I've had my eye on for quite some time. But, well, your old king was quite set in his ways and never wanted to entertain the idea of deeper explorations. With a very pained expression, you see like a vain bulge on the side of his head and he says, we speak not of the old king, we hail our queen and all of her divinity and all of her power and wrath. 
I'll praise Queen Garavar. Yes. And he gives like a very robotic look as he says this. And he says, perhaps this will be done. I can promise you the spell sanctum beneath the library has many ruins itself. It is a historic place with much to be learned. And he looks you over and he hears, you know, when you mention these things about the ruins, he sees that you cut from a certain jib and he says, I can give you two bits of information, one of them to aid your journey and one of them to give you a reason to complete this quest. One, there are many tomes deep beneath the spell sanctum and there is a holy shrine beneath where much can be learned. The old gods, those lost in the constellations, they cannot be reached so easily. And this place itself at one point in time was a shrine to a goddess herself. Athmanes. Does anybody have religion? Yes. Well, hunky dory. But that's only an eight. Okay. I mean, you've heard of Athmanes. She, for what you know, is a goddess of an old era. Her alignment and things is kind of a little bit of a loss to you, but you know that she is a good ish goddess one who's all about beauty and stones. So like gemstones and the marvels of crystals and all this other stuff. So she's not evil by any means, but she's just all about the aesthetic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think and at so, the mention of uh, the tomes beneath the spell sanctum and the fact that we'll be pillaging a r- artifact from an old god, uh, Vesterch sort of leans back and just gives a very big toothy smile well benny it seems this wasn't a waste after all stonks and he says but i also want to alarm you judging by your character and your willingness to assist us in this task rumor has it that the place is cursed A terrible trap lays deep within the bowels of such a place. The spell sanctum is perfectly protected by such a trap, and only those of purest heart are capable of entering such a place. I'm not on any grounds to judge anybody's ethics, as he looks over at Barrow, morality, as he looks over at Vesturge, or general sense of character, as he looks over at Bendarshi, and he says, but I would highly recommend that these rumors and these legends are treated with a modicum of respect. For I would hate to see the fate of those who did not heed the warnings. And so the best I can tell you now, thump, thump, thump. There's a couple of hard thumps on the door leading to the back area here. And you hear one voice muffled by the wood of the door yell out, On decree of those of Tomgard, open this door now. And this man who you have met with, Halfin, looks up quickly and he says, you fools, you drew their attention, didn't you? And you hear another hard thump, thump, thump on the door as somebody slamming a gauntleted fist on the door. Seems to be nearly cracking the the board off the hinges. That'll be their last mistake. Uh, Barrow starts to reach for, like... uh, I'm practical and like completely unadorned glaive that he had walked in as if it was a walking stick. Okay. So with that, with a couple Bendarshi, more thumps at the door. Oh, sorry. What did you say? Uh, Bendarshi's going to like hide anywhere he can. 
Okay, you can hide under the table. It's going to be very awkward, but the room's dim and dark enough with a little bit of firelight that you'd fit in the shadows pretty decently. Um, if you want, you can roll the stealth check for that right now. Um, That's a 24. Damn. All right. What about Sturge? Is he just going to stand there and just like, well... Yeah, I mean, he, he still just has that smile on his face as he slowly turns towards the knocking at the door and says, Stonks. Uh, company. And with that, breaking you guys' preparations, hiding under the table, brandishing your weapons, and I don't know, commenting on who's behind the door, you hear a crash of glass as the stool that old man Helfen was sitting on goes thundering through the window. And he's already like reaching a foot out, openly exposing himself, wounding himself on the glass of the window. And again, robotically so, just like digging his way through the painful, like slicing glass pain as he seems to be reaching his way out. And he says, if you die here, it is good enough. Kill them all. Leave no trace. Leave as soon as you do. Denver Burrow is the way to go. Leave no trace. And with that, he pops through and starts running away as the door starts to burst open at the seams. Good to meet so it you, looks like Halfin. Wait, what'd you say? Good to meet you, Halfin. And with that, he gives sort of a robotic look as if some glimmer of something in him is pulling for you to shake a true name out of him. Something to pull him from this pain and woe of climbing through the bleeding window. Um, and so with that, the room you guys are in is about 15 by 15 and it's pretty cluttered with stuff not enough to obstruct your movement but the table sits perfectly in the middle of it making sort of a donut hole the door itself is on like the bottom left corner of it um so let's roll initiative for this and you guys all know about the tome guard one way or another i know barrow knows about the tome guard just because Ascabellum is kind of fraught with these dinguses causing trouble and trying to lord over them i know vesturge definitely knows about them because they're the people who are like prize artifacts and good stuff from ruins need to be preserved protected researched and understood and Vesturch just slaps on sunglasses and with his spiky hair up in the front <laughs> he's like nah and i imagine bandarshi having spent time with Vesturch, has probably had run-ins with tomeguard at one point or another being like you can't practice your magics like that so i'm imagining you're all pretty well aware of what you're dealing with so it's not going to be great so what did we get for our initiatives? Because I got a 15. 29. 12. 6. 29? Is that what you said? Yeah, got that alert. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Plus, plus okay. a high dex. <laughs> and uh, one below max roll, so. <laughs> well, fuck me, I guess. All right, so you got 29. Who got below 29? Everybody. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, close <laughs> I have 12. I didn't hear what Barrow had. I had a six. Oh, okay. So, okay. <laughs> so it goes Bendarshi, the Tome Guard, Vesturch, and Barrow. So with that, Bendarshi's hidden under the table. What did you want to do? Prepare an how action big, or something? How big is this building? Uh, you got. You mean in like total dimensions or do you mean like just this room? Uh, total. Like how long? How many turns would it take me to get back to the front door? Taking dash, dash actions. If you wanted to jump out the window and come yep. back around, is that what you're saying? Yep. 
Uh, well, if you wanted to jump out the window and come around, there is another window in the front that you could climb through, and that would be about 60 feet to get back around to the other side if you wanted to really hoof it. No, I'll just ready in action. I'll ready to shoot my, my arrow at them. Okay, from under the table. It's a very cramped space for a Bendarshi. Well, I guess for a spry 12-year-old, it's not that bad. Yeah, a creature that has spent most of its life crawling through cramped ruins and dodging traps is surprisingly <laughs> flexible and can really work his lanky body in strange ways. Get that green bean status, yeah. <laughs> Another green bean. All right, well, with that, um, okay, so you prepare that action. Uh, now, the Tome Guard... The door swings open at this point, and a single well-armored individual wearing the white tabard of the Tome Guard with the book on the front and the white light surrounding it opens the door, and with a silvered blade aimed directly into the room at the first target he sees, which happens to be a very smirking Vesturge, uh, could I get a dexterity saving throw from you? Does my ready to action go off now? as well yeah actually it sure, yeah, certainly does and, and then does he and, come within 10 feet of me uh when he opens the door unless he steps into the room no okay because yeah, i took the polar master feed i get to take aoos against people who enter my area oh good well <laughs> if he wants to walk into the room he's gonna get pretty well fucked by that and then i'm i am hidden right from him yep mm, okay you said dexterity saving throw? Uh, I'm close enough to borrow to get his bonus on saving throws, right? Uh, as long as you're within 10 feet, you get a plus three. Okay. That's good for me. Uh, 20 to hit. That's a nine. Um, okay, hold on a second. So the nine fails, and the 20 to hit succeeds. That's. Uh... Would you say he was surprised by that? Yeah, he was definitely surprised by it. Okay, that is going to be uh, 25 damage. Okay, so you shoot him square in the gut as he walks into the room and he says, I shall flay thee and slay thee. He just gets shot square in the gut. And, like, blood immediately spurts out from his stomach where it sinks in. And as he, like, writhes in agony, grabbing with his open hand at the arrow, he moves his hand back and aims it at Vesturge and releases a lightning bolt into the room. And you guys can smell the air change to that special kind of lightning bolt air. And it just sunders through. And you got a nine on this? Mm-hmm. All right. So you take a whopping 20 points of damage as a lightning bolt crashes into you. <laughs> so Vesturch will use his reaction to cast Absorb Elements. So reduce that by 10. So Still smirking the whole time, I imagine? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Has, is thinking about standing up. Hasn't fully committed to the idea yet. Very good. So from where everybody in the room is standing, they can see that there must be a gang of like four of these dudes standing outside the door. 
and two of them run into the area. Uh, one of them sort of staying behind, turning his back to the situation, sort of guarding the backside of all of this. But the two of them that run in, I Barrow, are you able to just hit one or can you hit multiple? Does it count as your reaction? Uh, yeah, it's an attack of opportunity, so I can only hit one, and I don't think uh, extra attacks apply to attacks of opportunity. I don't think so. Because no. it usually means that it's got to have the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I can just hit one, but that's uh, one more than I would be hitting otherwise, and that's a pretty good one. And that's going to be a 25 to hit. Damn. Okay. Lay on the damage. Sixteen points of damage. As okay. yeah, swinging so, the glaive. Okay, so this guy looks properly wounded as well. Again, these are tough dudes, so it's not like an easy feat to really harm them. But between Ben Darcy's shot to that guy's stomach and Barrow slicing that guy asunder, I mean, already half of the group here are bloodied and looking very injured. But with that, the two of them that ran in, both of them go for Barrow, seeming to be uh, looking like the most present, I guess, challenge at this point. So both of them swing in with their swords. And what's your armor class? 18. How much? 18. 18? Yep. Okay. And so with that, our pals, uh, one of them hits and the other one does not with this initial swing. And so the one who did hit deals a total of seven points of damage with his uh, silver longsword. And they both swing it again furiously. The one who's wounded looking like he's a little bit more angry than not. Uh, but he swings in. The wounded one manages to hit you. And he deals a total of eight points of damage with his long sword. And that ends their turn with them both being adjacent to the table, being five feet away from Bristurch, and being in base contact with Barrow. One of them still guarding the entryway. And the one who shot off the lightning bolt seems to be standing in the doorway preparing another spell. So it goes to Vesturch's turn. Okay. Uh, Research is going to stand up and move towards the back of the room uh, away from them. So is there three or four total? Four total. One of them's heavily wounded. One of them looks like he's a little bit wounded and two untouched. Okay. Uh, Research will use his bonus action to use extract name on the um, one who cast the lightning bolt. So he's going to make a DC 16 wisdom save. Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, Okay. So with that, he fails it with a 15. Okay. He is charmed, so he won't be able to take an attack against me next turn. And I know his name, whatever it is. (laughs) Do you want to know his name? Uh, we'll see after the spell. Uh, actually, yeah, I'll, I, I would like to know his name. His name is Lacoy. So the Vesterch just looks him dead in the eyes and says, Lacoy, didn't your parents ever teach you any manners? It's rude to drop in on a uh, friendly meeting. And then he's going to cast Tasha's Mind Whip on the other three. So all three of them are going to make Intelligence Saving Throws DC 16. 
the one who uh, uh, Lacoy there, he is clutching in one hand the arrow, and like his sword has fallen by the wayside as his lip begins to kind of blubber a little bit as he's just like, and on intelligence saving throws, I got an eighteen and a sixteen and an eight. Okay, so uh, the two that failed are going to take twelve. The one that passed is going to take uh, six. Um, and the two that failed aren't able can their next turn can either make a move, an action, or a bonus action, but just one of those three. They don't get to do anything else. Okay. So with that, the guy who's in front of Barrow is now as wounded as the guy who's got the arrow in his gut and is blubbering. There's one other guy in the room with Barrow and you guys in base contact, and he's a little bit wounded now. And the guy in the hallway seems the lightest wounded out of everybody. Um, but now, if that's the end of your turn, it goes to Barrow. Uh, okay. I'm going to first target the guy who's a little bit wounded. Okay. Uh, swing at him. Uh, however, uh, nine is probably not going to hit. No, not in this case. I, I will try again with my second attack, uh, which is going to be a crit. See, there that's we what we like to hear. <laughs> Drop a smite on him. <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to need a smite. I guess we'll see. That's going to be 23 points of glaive damage. So this guy is just as heavily wounded as the other uh, two guys, the one with the arrow and the one who got mind whipped and slashed first. So it's an entire room of, of very wounded people. The only guy who's not so terribly wounded is the guy in the hall. Okay, uh, so now I'm going to use a bonus action to flip around the other side of my glaive and hit that guy one more time. That's just rude. Uh, let's see. Hold on. I didn't actually calculate. Uh, what the, no, that would be the same thing. That's going to be a 17 to hit. Uh, 17 hits good. All right. And let me just check what kind of damage that was. Probably blunt, right? Yeah, it was blunt, but it's a D4. Yep. For 11 points of damage. Jesus Christ, on a D4? I rolled a four. I have a high strength bonus uh, and the aura of hate. You know, it's the hate that really adds the salt to the sizzle. But <laughs> yeah, he's is. looking the most wounded out of everybody. Um, okay, is that it for your turn? Yeah, that's going to be it. Okay, Bendarsha, you're up. You have two people in base contact on the edges of the table. And I think the only person who knows about you is the blubbering guy who is currently has his name known, so. Okay, then I am going to... Uh... Didn't think you were going to make it this far. No, I didn't <laughs> either. <laughs> I like, thought that was uh... it for me. Uh, I... I will bonus action disengage and run to like the doorway hallway area to kind of flank the person up on Pharaoh. Okay. And stab him in the back. 
I mean, uh, which one are we talking about? The one that's already very heavily wounded? The one who's bloodied? Or are we talking out in the hallway with the guy who was keeping watch? Uh, whichever one was between Barrow and the door. Okay, because the one who's two. directly in the doorway is the blubbering guy. Okay, then I'll do the other one, not the blubbering guy. Okay. Uh... So you can even say that you just like disengage by climbing out from underneath the table. I mean, technically, you could get a sneak attack on the guy and you don't even need to move. I was going to stab him instead of shooting him, though. You'd be able to stab him under the table. Oh, well, yeah, I'll do that then. Yeah, because they're both kind of, I don't know if shooting does more damage for you and that's why you want to do it. Nope, but, it does not. Because technically, they're both standing on the table side and they're like moving in on Barrow, who's slowly moving back towards the Sturge. But you're under the table and they don't even know about it. So you could hamstring a guy from under the table and they wouldn't even know you were <laughs> oh there Oh my yet. god, that's brutal. A 22 to hit. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget, you have 10-foot reach with your melee attacks. Yeah. Of course you do. Just orangutan arms from under the table. Just <laughs> not like uh, a you're the party of reach then, because I'm fighting with reach too. <laughs> it's going to be good for Dan. <laughs> I mean, I'll just keep throwing lightning bolts. I don't care. Uh, that's... T- 23 damage okay so the one that was mind whipped and slashed initially by barrow is dead describe the kill Uh, (laughs) yeah just reach out just grab his legs and just pull him under they just see their ally just disappear under the table (laughs) so nightmarish i'd say ladder up (laughs) equally horrifying is like the guy's just standing there next to his comrade and all of a sudden he just has a rapier through his skull it's like where did that come from and he just sees an arm coming out from under the table just going <laughs> through the dude's skull it's like oh fuck yeah yeah <laughs> little, a little, little stream yeah. of blood flows out from under the table yeah. messed up you, you know, it kind of reminds me of play an evil campaign yeah damn, i don't that's know what i'm talking wanted. about that's why it never feels good it's got to feel like the Tome Guard have to feel like bad guys a little bit, you know? You but don't have with to that, do that. <laughs> the, one, the one who is still standing, mind whipped and everything, uh, reaches in with his one bare, well, I guess his gauntleted, metal gauntleted hand for Barrow with a static kind of clinging to his fingertips. Was Ben Darcy's turn done? I, I was just going to bonus action hide again. Yeah, I was going to, honestly, at this point, it would take an action for them to even see you and yeah. only okay. they only get one action at all. So I'm like <laughs> thinking they're more they also, concerned with. I, I forgot to mention that if they failed the mind whip, they can't take reactions, but okay, it's a little late now because it's their turn. So though, I mean, it's, it's whatever. It wouldn't help them anyway, but, um, but yeah, so the one reaches out for a shocking grasp on Barrow. Your armor class is 18. Is it? It is. Okay. And I imagine you're wearing the uh, armor made of metal. Yep, a mithril plate. Very good. So with that, I got a total of 19. And so with a shocking grasp, this guy reaches out, mind-whipped and looking kind of slack-jawed. He says, you will not find the heart of Asmanes. He deals 10 points of lightning damage to you. And you can't take reactions. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, no. That guy bumbling in the doorway. So what's his deal again? The bumbling He's guy? Charmed. So he can't take any attack or like 
Yeah, uh, a charmed creature can attack the charmer or target the charmer with harmful abilities or magical effects. Can I attack anybody else? Yes. I fire a lightning bolt under the table. Now, technically, Bendarshi's prone, so does that mean your saving throws are going to be at disadvantage for this? That means your attack's at disadvantage. That's so fucked. I'm not even... <laughs> I can't, I'm not attacking. It's a saving throw. Yeah, let's uh, check, but yeah, I'm pretty sure dexterity saving throws are made at disadvantage on prone. Uh, the creature has disadvantage on attack rolls. The prone creature's only movement is to crawl. An attack roll against the creature has... I don't think there's anything about disadvantage or advantage on dex rolls. Well, in that case, go ahead and roll that dex throw. And let's hope you can use that guy who just pulled under there as a meat shield. That's a 12? Okay. So a 12 is not good enough. And the bumbling uh, guy uh, right uh, there... If you're within 10 feet, you get a plus 3. What does that make it? 15? 15, yeah. Let me double check. Oh, 15? Okay, so you actually save with that. Yes! Um, so he'll take no damage check. because he has Is that the case with the lightning bolt? Oh, because you have evasion. You yeah. turd. <laughs> yep. So he shoots a lightning bolt under there, and you just orangutan hop while on in prone under the table. You just, just roll like Donkey out. Kong under yeah. the <laughs> yeah, roll to the side. And he fires in there and he says, You will be stopped. I'm sorry, mother, father. <laughs> and he's still holding the arrow in his in his gut, reaches the bloody hand out after firing the lightning bolt, and he like falls to a knee. And kind of crumples a little bit, standing up, using his sword to crux himself up. Um, okay. And then the one who's in the doorway still uh, and keeping watch runs over to the entryway. Um, I guess he's already kind of there anyway. So I guess he just turns and he launches his magic missiles in there. Um, so he's going to spread the missiles out amongst all y'all. So one missile for everybody. He hasn't seen Bandarshi, so technically he doesn't. So I guess I'll give an extra one to Barrow. Oh, thanks. So with that, Barrow, you take four damage, and Varsh I'm going to cast shield. Takes no damage. <laughs> yeah, Barrow, thanks for saving me, but uh, take my magic missile too, please. <laughs> what? Wait, what? You, you're hiding. You didn't know, even know I you're know. there. <laughs> he's like, wonder where he's firing lightning bolts under the table. Hey, where's Bill anyway? So with that, that's the end of their turn. So now it goes to Vesturch again. Okay. Um, so there's three left now, correct? Yep. There's two that are equally bloodied. Both the bumbling guy whose name has been named, Charmy Boy, and then the one who's still standing in front of Byro, and then the one who's only taken a little bit of damage in the uh, doorway, who just tossed to the magic missiles. Okay. Um, so... From the doorway to Barrow is every all of the enemies, correct? Barrow is at the edge of the table. Uh, Benny is underneath it. Yeah, technically they're in a line. You could argue it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to cast Tidal Wave on my good friend. What was his name? Lacoy. Lacoy. Yeah, I'm going to cast Tidal Wave starting out LaCoy and come into the room, but stop at the table so it doesn't hit Barrow or Bendarshi. Okay, so it's just going to basically push everybody into the room? 
Yeah, it'll hit the three of them. Okay. Um, Is and, it a saving throw? Yeah, and I'm going to use uh, my resonant utterance devastation uh if a spell requires the named creature to make a saving throw that creature has disadvantage on this roll so lacoy will have disadvantage his other two fellows will just make a dc 16 deck save okay so that lacoy got a solid four and fails it and the other two guys uh got a one and a ten Okay, so everyone... Oh. Whoa, I almost rolled minimum damage. Uh, 12 damage on 48, <laughs> so that's pretty good. Um, so they all take 12 damage, and they're all knocked prone. Okay, so they all fall down on the ground in front of the table, and all of them see Bendarshi under the table after having maimed their friend with a surged sort of snackling, crackling of the floorboards where the lightning struck. Uh yeah, and now they're all soaked, apparently, but the water retreats as soon as it came in, I imagine. Uh, yeah, it splashes out within 30 feet, extinguishes any flames, so I imagine the hearth has been put out, so now it's just fucking yeah. dark and stormy so outside. Now you're, now Lightning you cracks in the distance, window. so they yeah. see Bendarshi for a second, and then it's just <laughs> darkness. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, the lightning crashes for a second as they all fall to the ground and start to gain their senses, blubbering over the water. And all of a sudden, the lightning crashes outside, and they all see Bendarshi sort of slinking towards them, all kind of like predatory animal style into the table. Well, all righty. Uh, so if that's your turn, now it goes to Barrow. All right, uh, so now all of them are prone basically within my reach. Yep. <laughs> right, uh, I'm going to start with the guy who shocking grasped me a minute ago. Okay. And by the way, with the damage, they're all very wounded, except for the guy farthest away. Uh, so that first guy is getting a 23? Yeah, that hits. Uh, that's going to be 14 points of damage. Okay, and that's a kill. Yep. So just uh, swift. Uh, <laughs> Very good. It's a nice yep. thunk in the head. There you go. Yep. Um, I guess a uh, chunk uh, is probably better. Another guy. Uh, 22 to hit. Okay. That's a hit. Ooh, for a maximum 17 points of damage. He's dead too. Yep, and then uh, can I adjust a little bit to hit a third one with my bonus action? Okay. Uh, how does the third guy look? He's not very wounded. He's only gotten hit with the residual of the tidal wave, and he got hit with uh, the mind whip. So he's he's not very wounded. Uh, all right, and besides him, how many are still alive? Just him? That's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, that's going to be 23. Okay. And uh, I'm going to turn that into a smite with a first level spell. Okay. And uh, I'd like this to be non lethal if it's going to kill him. Okay. Oh, wait, hold on. I rolled the wrong. Wrong guy. Oh, your roll is D Hundo. Like 193. How did you even manage that? Non-lethal. 193 non-lethal <laughs> damage. 
I slapped that guy in the next fucking week. <laughs> All right, let's see with the smite. That's going to be 23 points of damage. Damn, so he's on the verge of death with that mighty smack to the side of the freaking noggin because you're using the the uh, butt of the glaive. So you just funk him with a quarterstaff side there. So yeah, he's very wounded on the floor and it goes to Vesturch if you're done. Leave one alive. I'd like to ask some questions. Mm, of course. Oh, sorry. It goes to Bendarshi. Yeah, I, if I said Vesturge, that's my bad. You said leave one alive. I did say that. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks really quick. Hold on. Anthony's character says leave it alive. <laughs> well, oh, there's no, no dark ben- god whispering in his ears. Ben Darcy no, looks, that was whispering looks, in oh. Anthony's ear. No, ben, yeah, Darcy looks accurate. <laughs> he looks over at uh, the street and uh, just says, Do I have to? Come now, Benny. Let's let's listen to the man and see what he does with it. Okay. Vistrich is the but... scariest one out of all of them. The orangutan <laughs> strangler under the table doesn't scare me as much as bearded old man sitting spry like nothing's going on like, now, now, Benny. We must that... respect our new friend. Stands up from under the table and just walks, steps over this person who's lying prone, shuts the door, and just turns around and stabs into him non-lethally oh good we'll yeah. say you pommel him over the head oh i was just going for like you know the leg or something i don't think he's gonna pass out from that <laughs> lose enough blood you will uh, <laughs> Aaron, uh, this is this is the outlet for you Okay, I'm not even gonna air this episode. This is just so can let it out in a comfortable space. We are all here because we care about you. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I guess I'll just bonk him in the head then, with the knife side. So anyway, that's What'd gonna you get? be a twenty-four to hit. Damn. Okay. And 30 wow. damage. Wow. Yeah, that was big numbers. Yeah, you give you give like an ultra smack. You got like that Super Smash Bros timing right where you charged up the basic attack and he but, met like right at the kissing moment as he like looked up like what? And you just smacked him out and he just falls to the ground unconscious with a, <clears throat> it's just that Donkey Kong like spinning arm charge and just oh, bah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. Um, okay, so with that, he's out cold, and there's three corpses in the room, and the innkeeper is nowhere to be seen. The door's wide open. Oh, yeah, you closed the door. So I guess when you went to close the door, you saw him, like, looking in with a panicked face, like, hmm. Yeah, I guess if I saw that, I would just be like, shh. As you <laughs> put one finger up to yeah. As you yeah, close the door to the dark room. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with that, the guy's unconscious on the floor. What do you guys want to do now? I'm going to lay on hands myself for a certain amount to get my HP back. Fair enough. Yeah, I just how much? I'm healing myself for 29. Damn. So what are we doing with the crew here? Um, Baru is going to pick up his helm off of the table and put it on. 
and then throw the other guy over his shoulder and say, let's take this outside. The dead body or the unconscious body? The unconscious body. Okay. What are we doing about the dead bodies? Are we just going to set it on fire? Jared, you can't say that you're like... Chaotic evil. I mean, what do you, you, what do you, you want? You evil. want us okay. to be evil. <laughs> I thought I remembered you saying at some point something about something neutral, and I'm like... Oh, I was just asking was for Ryan because he was on the fence about being neutral. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a friend you are. Anyway, okay, so um, what's the deal? I think the search is just going to walk over to uh, LaCoy's body. Uh, I I got his last name too, right? He had a last name, I'm assuming. You don't have sure. to tell me. Uh, could I just make a history check on what I would know about that family name or anything I would know sure. about the name LaCoy? Sure. 25. Okay. So, I mean, with the 25, I mean, the name itself sounds like it's half elven and seeing him without his helm on, he is half elven himself. Um but he is likely, based on what you know about, I mean, his name's not anything fancy or special, but he's probably Asgabellan himself. It sounds like his name having any like weight to it sounds like he probably used his namesake quite a bit, which is commonplace for Asgabellans to be like clan titles, heraldry and everything. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's not like his family had any major thing, you know? It'd be like the name Smith and knowing it's probably a British you know, you know what I mean? Like you, you have a good idea, but it's there's nothing special to him. Well, child, you should have stayed on your island. And then uh Vesturch will start <laughs> making his way out with Barrow and Benny in tow. And so that the innkeeper kind of like looks over at you guys and looks in the room and sees the bodies on the floor. And the room it's all dark in here, other than the sconces that he had with candles. And he looks to you guys and he says, What have you done? Uh, Vesturch will open up his, uh, pull out a coin purse and hand the innkeeper, uh, 30 gold and just say, well, here's a bit for the cleaning. And with that, he just looks at the bodies and looks at the coins and he says, my sir, if I can be honest with you as to not earn your ire, the man who hosted that room in there paid me nearly 10 times this much just for the secrecy of the chamber. Please don't tell him that they arrived and it was anything I could have prevented. I'll clean it up at once. Your secret's safe with me, child. <laughs> Off with the he goes. So that he just starts running with a bucket of water and a cloth and he goes running in there like he's about to go sham wow. So with that, uh, he's about to squeeze you some blood. But uh, yeah, so you guys take your your friend there, the uh, unconscious body, and where do you want to bring him? Is there a stable? Again, it's like the dead of night. There is a stable attached to the place. Yeah, uh, Barrow's going to bring him out there. Um, are there any like in employees or anything in the stable? No, the stable boy's gone to bed. Okay. Uh, he's he probably woke up at the sounds of lightning indoors as well as outdoors, but I mean, you know. What's a stable boy going to do? <laughs> uh, so he's going to pick like an empty uh, stall or something and sure. tie the guy up uh, by his wrists so that he is like standing up straight, even though he's unconscious. Okay. 
Fair enough. I figure, I mean, he's pliable enough in his unconscious state with a hefty bunk of like 30 points of non-lethal. So yeah, he, he's a mannequin at this point. Yeah. Um, um, and then Barb's going to try to wake him up. Can I use okay. uh, extract name before we wake him up? Sure. It's just going to give you his name? Yeah. Do unconscious creatures make wisdom saving throws? See, I had I mean, I pulled up. Let's see, unconscious. An unconscious creature is incapacitated, can't move, speak, and is unaware of their surroundings. Uh, it drops whatever it's holding. It automatically fails dex and strength saves. It doesn't say anything about other saves. He's got them unconscious brains. Okay, that's fine. I rolled a natural 20. And I do not get his name. And, You're like, what and a dick. Tested creature just can't take actions or reactions. Okay. Anyway, as his unconscious body begins to double dash out of there, um, like all Scooby Doo stuff flapping behind him, like Ed, Ed, and Eddie, just fucking Ed. Just... <laughs> anyway, um, his, his legs are very conscious. It's the upper half that's not so conscious. Um, but okay, so with that, he's tied up. You smack him around to wake him up after Vesturch was trying to cast some spells to get his name out. So he shakes awake and he says, You'll pay for what you did. They'll know. They'll send more this way. The heart of Ethmanes, we know where it is. We came here to cut you off. And he spits towards you guys and he says, if we didn't stop you, they'll stop you. Our mission is a good one. One of good faith and one where we're preserving the world. Do you have any idea who you're working for at all? Uh, yeah. Barrow yeah. in the mouth. Yes, yes, I know your cause is just, your actions are justified. You must protect the world. Uh, What the fuck's happening right now? I punch him in the mouth. You're a good boy. What it must be like to hold such lofty ideals. I'm telling you, Vesturch is the scariest motherfucker in this entire game. Bendarshi could go on a strangling (laughs) spree. Vesturch says one thing, and he's still the scarier one. Well, you're right about one thing. We're going to get paid very well for this. Now, tell me everything you know about the spell sanctum. And he says, I'd rather die. My word is bond, and the cause is everything I live for. And the cause is what gives me life. Kill me if you must. I'll say nothing. By the time I'm done with you, you're going to wish you were dead. And he's going to get uh, right up in his face. Um, yeah, with the glowing, with the glowing eyes, helmet, and everything. Oh boy, does that have an effect that I need to know about? No, it's just spooky looking. <laughs> very good. So he looks very spooked as he kind of jeers his head away into one of his two armpits that he's kind of got close to his face there. And with that, he says. Listen to my words. If there's any goodness to you, any sense, some semblance of guilt, please believe me. You are working for an enemy of all. He does not want to assist anyone. The payment you get will be paid in blood. You will not survive this task. uh, Barrow is going to rest the quarterstaff side of his glaive down on the guy's foot and break a toe. It just, so the in, crunch in the background, but Darcy's just gonna say, oh, "At least he's not trying to kill us." With a nice crunch, he, he lets out a shout. 
Then he yells in absolute agony and he says, help, somebody help. You've got nine more and no help's coming. So tell us everything you know about the spell sanctum. I don't uh, like this evil game anymore. And the heart of Achmanes. <laughs> and so that he, he starts to gasp a little bit and he says, you'll never make it in there. And even if you did, you'd never survive such a place. It's protected by the holy magics of Athmanes herself. Though she is gone from the stars, her spells linger there. Her powers linger. You have no way of surviving what she has in there. I promise you this. The spell sanctum is protected by many tome guard. You'd never be given admittance. Let us worry about that. And we've heard all about the protection. A person pure of heart, right? You don't know the start of it. Well, what if you did it for us? I beg pardon? He looks to you with blood like dangling from his nose and his mouth. Surely you can walk past the goddess's protections. I would tell everyone. I would never let you push me into such a situation. I would tell all. The mayor himself, the baron, he would know. You know what they say. Oaths are made to be broken. By the time we arrive there, I think I can have you ready to help. Shit. Okay. He's just making his oath breaker paladin line. Oaths are made to be broken. I'm going to give an inspiration point for that. I'm also going to give one to, to Ben Darshi for that fucking hushed like finger while closing the door and pulling that guy under the table. Now I get an inspiration point. Okay. This is spooking the shit out of me and I don't like it. But with that, he says, my oath is bond. And he looks you up and down and he says, I know your ilk. I know your type. From the fighting style alone, I recognize you as Cabellan, trained military. Am I right? Uh, Barb's going to break another toe. I'm the one asking <laughs> questions here. I'm also the one breaking toes, motherfucker. So with that, he lets out a groan and he says, I bet it hurts to know you failed. I bet it hurts to know your clan disowned you. That's why you're here. And Amaroth, in a time of war, why else would you be here, you nameless dog? And he spits some bloody spit in your general, general direction, falling short from his split lip, kind of numbly guiding his spit. What better place for a warrior than a place at war? Where else should I be? He says, in a grave. You'll be there soon. Do you not put together these points? Do you know who you work for? In this time, who do you think is affording this much wealth? Who do you think can afford to hire people like you? Surely the writing is on the wall and you know the Herald of Steel himself is employing you. Do you know nothing of what he does? How little he cares for anyone? You will die if you meet him. As so long as the coin spends. Has Vesterch ever heard of this Herald of Steel? In his oh, you're studies? all very well aware. And like, as far as your lore goes and the intelligence you already have, you're probably very well read it up enough that he is of immortal based powers. Like he is a very much so a creature of mythology come to this plane. And I think there's probably a lingering perverse little interest you have to be close to his wreckage. And you probably already had a bit of an idea that he's probably the one paying. So there's something of like a living artifact sort of aspect to him that you're like, 
always hoping that it would be him. You know what I mean? How delightful to work for something so ancient, so powerful. I wonder then if he's so interested in this heart of your long dead god. Do you think he'll stop at us three? Will the tome guard hold against the wave, the flood of iron and steel he will bring down upon you? What what will your order do then with all their just causes, their greater goods? Oh, I hope I get to watch. It says, my soul will go amongst the stars with all who have died a justified death following their oath. I will not die a coward and I will not bend to your will nor to that of the Herald of Steel. My brethren died in that chamber, an honorable death, trying to prevent heathens like you from exacting the deeds of evil. I promise you this. If I die, I die heroically to my cause. And you all, I don't want to know what kind of fate he has in store for you. Surely you've seen You've seen everything that, that he has done. Surely you have seen the wreckage, the swaths of destruction. Do you think that you will be saved in any way? You're ants. You are nothing. A thing of beauty, if you ask me. And so with that, he just shakes his head. He says, just kill me. I'll not help you. Well, Benny. Uh, uh, look back at his uh, newfound companions to sort of get an idea of what they think. When you go to look back, Benny is so quiet. He's just right behind you. <laughs> just... God, fuck. Benny, why don't you give this young man the release he so desperately seeks? Uh... And we'll make our way on. And he pulls out a dagger and stabs him. And with that, as you go to stab him, right before it punctures him, he like hurriedly says out a prayer and he says, To the spiritual dragon! He just lurches and falls over dead, dangling from the rope. I recover my rope. (laughs) Like, hey, give me that back. (laughs) Now, the town where. Heading to is Denderboro. Denvilboro. 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 Do we know anything about the town uh, in particular? I mean, I guess the best way to put the general knowledge on it, unless somebody wants to roll for history, uh, the general knowledge that you guys have for it is that it's sort of an in between between Cooperford and Glory Wake. So it's kind of a bustling trade spot where a lot of the wares people get from the ocean and from trade on the sea meet over to Cooperford where a lot of hardworking people need tools and stuff. So it's kind of an in-between spot where there's a lot of people. It's ruled by a baron instead of just like, you know, any other mayor or anything like that. And the baron, for all intents and purposes, uh, his name is Baron Manden Eldwall. And for what it's worth, I mean, he's regarded in high esteem as being a nice guy, as being sort of a fair and just ruler. Not much of an outspoken guy, but one who kind of keeps the law. But apart from that, 
Well, yeah. I mean, the library is very well known. I've traveled through Denvilleboro a few times, and I know a couple things. I got a nat twenty on my uh, history check. Oh, well, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> so you know that the Library of Spell Sanctum is here. You know that there is definitely a Tome Guard influence here, sort of like a residual one. Um, but this group that are here are, how do I want to say it? They're like, they're like landed Tome Guard. So they're not necessarily like rah-rah, go to war. They're like, rah-rah, we protect this one location with our lives. You get what I'm saying? Sort of like, I feel like there's a term for that. There's some sort of thing where, like in British history, there's people who guard a very particular place, like a very specific kind of guard. You know what I mean? Mm. Anyway. But anyway, yeah. So you know about Tome Guard influence. And given your 20, you said it was a natural 20? Yeah. 28 total. You're very well aware that the Baron himself is not so much in charge of this place. And that the library of Spell Sanctum itself is important enough and valuable enough as a location that the Baron is sort of given puppet string to kind of guide what he does based on what the Tome Guard need him to do. Meaning a lot of resources go to protecting that place. A lot of energy goes to keeping people away from it. You know what I'm saying? So if the Tome Guard don't want it, Baron's not going to do it. The Spell Sanctum has always been... a wish of mine something i took great interest in in my life but could never get too close to thanks to men like this the baron very much a baron only in title answers to the tome guard and they have quite the honor guard in that area Sounds like we might need to get creative. If this, if what this one has to say is true, then we're sailing a fortress with three. But it's three cool guys. And one scary old dude. Indeed. I, I still can't get over this church just being like, how are you fair over blood, iron, and steel? Like, what the <laughs> hell is that? Are you okay, Ryan? Okay, I mean, I got a thumbs up. I think that's good enough. Okay, so I suppose now we have to figure out what our three radical dudes are going to do next. It's still well into the evening. It's still raining pretty hard. There's the occasional lightning and thunder. Um, But you've heard you have to go to Denvilleboro. And you guys are all pretty well aware that there's a straight line to be carved to Denvilleboro through the woods, but most paths from Mossren, because of the thickness of the forest, instead go through the plains to the north, and they'll cut through Cooperford and come back around, basically doubling the length of the trip overall in miles, but it's a clear shot. So the question I have is, which path would the party want to take, and when would you want to take it? So I have a cartographer's set and the tools and everything since i've traveled through this area pretty uh extensively would i have like any sort of map that could shorten the trip 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say that you have an old road map, something that shows like old roads before the current trade with Cooperford opened up and really blossomed, sort of like there was initially a road that went straight from Mossren towards Denvilboro. But over time, because of the way traffic has worked, that path has kind of come out of out of style. Most people who are going from Mossren anywhere go to Cooperford. And people who go from Cooperford usually go to Denvilboro. So it makes sense that you'd have an old map that sort of leads between those two locations. Now, we could travel the more walked roads and head up to Cooperford and then down to Denvilboro. But I do believe I have my scrolls somewhere, a map that will show us a road that should be a bit of a more direct route if we're looking to save time. It's definitely going to be overgrown, though. It's not going to be super clear, but it's definitely, there's a path to be found. As long as we've a road of some kind of follow, I'm not really interested in getting lost in the wilderness. No, I think we'll be quite all right there. Fairly adept at reading these kind of things. But... I hope you don't mind a bit. Sorry, go oh, ahead. I hope you don't mind a bit of an uneven path at times. And I've judging by the map... Trails. Oh, sorry, what'd you say? I've marched harder trails, but the storm's also going to make things a little bit more difficult. I was going to say, looking from the maps that you've got, it might be a day and a half if things travel pretty... I don't know, as expected, it'll be a day and a half. But if the storm keeps up, and you guys travel at night, it'll probably take two whole days. And how long would it take if we just went the Cooperford path? About four. Okay. Not following the map most direct route? Well, not following the map would be the least direct, because you're going to have to pinpoint between Cooperford. I'm so no stranger to spending a night or two out in the elements, so I have no problem with camping where we decide to camp. I don't see a need to stay in town overnight. To stay the same in. <laughs> I expect breakfast. <laughs> Blood sausage, some, a personal uh, favorite. We're probably going to want to put some miles between us and here, regardless. Okay. So is the plan to leave now, then, in the dead of night? Or is the plan to... Because it's raining pretty decently. Like, it's a steady rain. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go. And it's like that weird early stage into spring where it's like very cold biting rain and wind so it's a muddy muddy trip but okay so leaving the guy tangled up you undo the rope he flumps to the ground and you give a quick knock to the indoor to mention a body in the barn that definitely needs to get cleaned up um or else and with that the party slink off into the night following lantern light and directions on the map so with that uh, um, I will say that Vesturch is going to spend 10 minutes while Bandarshi and Baro are letting the innkeeper know and getting themselves ready to ritual cast Phantom Steed. So he'll have a mount 
Yeah, and uh, Baro goes to tack up his own mouth. A rather large, uh, black-haired warhorse. And Bendarshi? Uh, are there any horses in this stable? There so sure are. Her- okay, I'm just going to take a horse. <laughs> this this <laughs> is like, mine. You're like, and my faithful steed, Larceny. <laughs> I'm going to call this one breakfast. <laughs> Okay. Um, taking horses, though, you could potentially get there in a day's time. Granted, you'll be arriving in the dead of night, and it'll be an overnight trip, so everybody will be pretty well exhausted if you wanted to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind stopping halfway to rest. Sure, we need to press that hard, you know, especially if, you know, that, that would give them more time to, like, get on the wrong trail to follow us, if that makes any sense. I guess so. So is the plan just to go and then rest at a reasonable point and then continue traveling, or are you just going to burn that midnight oil and hope your horses can handle it? We'll rest at a reasonable point. Okay. So with that, the party hop on on horses. Uh, I'll let you use an intelligence check with proficiency for your cartography skills to follow a map. Okay. Not that I picture a wizard doing better with a cartography Can skill. I help with my survival to kind of like, I know the path's probably like super overgrown and stuff, but to kind of help. Yeah, you can you can give advantage on it. So what'd you get? I can't roll on it though. No, you can. You can roll the survival to give them the uh, the uh, what's it called? One, a twenty-one. Okay, and so you get the advantage on the cartography. Yeah, I got a nineteen. Okay, so yeah, you guys know the path pretty easily, and to the point that like once you go out there, travel for the first couple hours through the trees, you notice the trees start to get less thick in a certain space, and notice that there's more like brush and shrubbery to the sides that at this point in spring aren't very well adorned with leaves. And so the path is very clear. Like it's going to be an easy jaunt. But as you guys travel through here with hooves slopping in the mud that you guys get between puddles, and as the rain seems to filter down on you pretty hard uh, with no leaves to break their fall, uh, the occasional rumblings and grumblings of thunder in the distance as the storm progresses farther and farther away. As it reaches about one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning on your trip, and exhaustion is really starting to take you guys. Can I get a perception check? Eighteen. Seventeen. Eight. And what'd you get, Ryan? Eighteen. How much? Eighteen. Okay. Mike cutting Sorry, in now. Mic was, yeah, the mic was cutting a little bit. So we had a 17 and an 18. Yep. So you guys smell in the distance the smell of wood smoke. Well, the it seems like there's probably a campfire somewhere in the distance. It seems we're not the only ones traveling this road tonight. Looks like someone's made camp up ahead. But what would you like to do? I'm gonna. How far up did you say it was? Hard to tell. You just got like a quick whiff of campfire in the distance. Uh, well, Morrow, normally at times like these, I like to let Benny here look ahead. So if you'll 
stay by my side. We can let let the young bugbear see what's up. I know the value of a good scout. Go on ahead. Okay. And I will go ahead stealthily. Okay. And that's going to be a 19 on my stealth. Yeah. Okay. And so with that, like a panther stalking prey, you manage to kind of like slunk all, like halfway on all fours, like between trees and shrubs, keeping your head low, following the smell until eventually in the distance, you can see some shadows moving around. And you, once you get even closer here, about 50 or so feet away, again, because there's so few leaves, you see a camp of about maybe 10 tents or so, larger tents. And it looks like there's at least there must be somewhere around like 40 people here. The smoke you can see is coming from a very dwindling little fire, um, something in the middle, which must have been where the campfire smell came from. Um, but can you give me an investigate check? You have dark vision? Yep. Okay. Dang. Uh, rolled a three, so that's a nine. Okay, so even from here and getting a good look, nobody's got like a glint of armor. Nobody's got any sort of semblance of like weapons or anything like that. Occasionally you see somebody with like a pitchfork or like a club, but this whole place looks to be just a bunch of ragged and wounded people as if like this is some hidden away like refugee spot. But yeah. So what would you like to do? And they all appear to be humans, by the way. All of them? Oh. Well, this... Okay. Uh. Why Why do you have to be chaotic evil? Why is this how you are? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they already set up tents for us. <laughs> Ten of them. Then my horsey gets two tens. <laughs> um, and you said there's only 40 of them? You can guess based on the size yeah. of the camp and how many people are walking around. All right. Uh, he's going to ready an arrow in his bow. Think about maybe, you know, setting it on fire to light up one of the tents. And then lower it and go running back to the others. <laughs> You're like, okay, okay. All right. So you come over here stalking again with your lowered, like, ape like, ape like gait as you approach the party silently as death, as you all of a sudden pop up in the light. Behind like, them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somehow you came from behind them. You fall behind them. <laughs> like, when were you up? <laughs> You don't travel up? What? Yeah, it's like in world, it's like in a level two world one of Super Mario where you just leap up on top of the blocks. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I'm up there with the scoreboard, back. baby. <laughs> uh, so I get back and I will let them know. So it, it looks like there's a camp up ahead with just a bunch of humans, 40 ish. There's lots of tents. I don't know. They didn't look like they had any armor. It, uh, they don't seem to pose a big threat to us. We could take the tents if we want. I 
thought about doing that before I came back. How like by his description, uh, you guys can put two and two together very easily to tell that after the wreckage of Glinta and Gabora, that's what I was and your ask. proximity to those towns, they may be refugees who have run off and escaped into the woodland trails. Refugees, probably. I doubt that we need to take anything by force. They'll probably just let us share their fire. That's so spooky, just showing up after killing a bunch of dome guard and be like, oh, we're just cold too. Man, did you hear about that Herald of Steel? Like, yeah, we met him. He destroyed our homes. That guy that's a pea farmer, he dead. <laughs> I don't think anybody could bring him back to life. Not oh, even to answer like farmer. one question. <laughs> Why is he still at the you bar know, not farming peas? <laughs> yeah, the pilfering pea farmer. <laughs> Well, we forget him. I suppose we can make camp with them then. My old bones are quite weary from this travel. Especially with all the rain, too. Okay. So that the party approaches as if nothing's weird about showing up in the dead of night on an old trail with a bunch of horses that look like either stolen Grand Theft Horsey or just approaching doom. Yep. Neutral evil, chaotic evil, and lawful evil walk up to them on horses. I'm actually not lawful evil, I'm neutral evil. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. So we are we are on the best side of evil. Evil for its own sake. <laughs> one person who thought about burning down all the tents. <laughs> that well, was for his sake. just none of them can see me. I could just kill them all. <laughs> Why is that the impulse? Like hmm, nobody knows I'm here. Let's burn it down. Like take all their stuff. Guess they'll die. Own. They got peas. Then I'll have and not a lot of tonight. them. So with that, um, you guys get close enough in the distance. How did you want to approach? On horses. Yeah, the search up. will just ride up. But yeah, I mean like. Are you just strolling in, or is somebody going up first, or who's talking? I mean, open, openly on horseback altogether, probably. I think, uh, does it look like they have someone like on watch, sort of? Yeah. The people who are walking around the fire are going to be very well aware of you guys approaching on horses. Okay. And so as you just uh, ride up, like, well, nothing's going Well, so, on. no, the search will, as we get closer, pull out his, um, what's the name of it? Bullseye Lantern. Okay. And just flashlight him on the eyes, like, hey, whoa, well, yeah, I just hold it out and then just sort of like put his hand in front of it a few times to like get their attention and then start making his approach or making our approach so they know we're coming in and they see. Okay. So, from the dull light given from the campfire, you guys can see many of the people who are out and about, like 10 of them, begin to brandish weapons and aim them towards you guys as you approach on the road. And one voice booms out above the rest and he says, Halt! Who are you and what are you doing here? We're, yes, we're traveling on uh, old roads between Mosren and Denvilboro. We I know the road. Why this hour? And on such ghastly horses. Well, Medard is like, hey, this is a normal ass horse. <laughs> Girl, don't let him don't let him get you down. 
He's just got really angry eyebrows permanently, like da da da. Like he, he bit me earlier. I didn't even do anything to him. We're on a my butt. mission from Eagle Heart. If you understand our intentions there, and well, no time to waste. I don't know your intentions. What you mean by being from there? Is that an intimidate or a deception? No, it's we're we were hired by someone in Eagleheart, someone high up. I, I guess I could say the queen. I don't know if that would be a deception at that point. I mean, as far as you know, it seems like the points have all been netted together that the Herald of Steel has hired you. The queen is just also part of this somehow. But yeah, I mean, as, as soon as you mentioned, you know, Eagleheart, the one who was kind of shouting to you guys in the front, he yells out and he says, by the queen? Yes, well, Good. they didn't want to give the specifics it turns out what we're doing is quite important so and so with that they begin to kind of nod to one another and they say the queen has employed many like this before not too long ago we had four adventurers come through our town to assist us i truly hope that their efforts are not in vain last we heard they were in glory wake helping out with the orcs on the war front do you know them and I guess I'd say you all, as long as you've got kind of a pulse on the area, yeah, you're aware of uh, the four heroes of Amaroth here. The dwarf, the goblin, the orc, and the human. Their names are not unheard of to you. Yes, yes, we are aware of these heroes and their mighty deeds. And while our mission may not carry such immense weight, or award us such accolades. We believe it just as important. And so with that, they kind of nod back and forth to one another and they say, "'Tis a time of heroes. "'Tis a time of legends and great deeds. "'Surely, if you are working for the Queen, "'you are here to help in some way. "'It makes sense. "'Denvilboro is relatively untouched by this war front. "'Ah, yes, good.' I'm sure your journey is very difficult, very hard if you've been traveling through the rain and through the night. Please, it would be an honor to have heroes on the Queen's Decree stay at my fire amongst us of Glint. Please, come rest. What How, were your names? I am Vesturch. This is my traveling companion, Benny, and our good friend, Barrow. So that they all kind of nod and look at the horses in a strange way and then allow your entry in, lowering their pitchforks and table legs and whatnot as you approach. And many people come over to greet you guys warmly and offer things like warm tea and things like that to kind of warm the bones before getting some sleep in. The how, speaker. F- oh, sorry. How good it is to meet such welcoming people who have lost so much. The spirit of Amaroth lives well in all of you. With that, the guy who was talking to you before, he looks like he's probably not a day over 30. He's got very dark hair and a very well-trimmed little mustache and beard combo. And he greets you very warmly with that comment and that remark. And he says, I appreciate that. I was next highest in command below the chief of the guard in Glent. And upon his death and upon our escape from the town, 
I have taken over as leader, and I take it with great honor that you would say such a thing about our efforts and our people. So, are you at any position to tell me more of your quest? Perhaps I could be of service. Maybe not much, but something. Unfortunately, it likely would be best if we kept such things to ourselves. Uh, the queen has a great many things and plans in motion right now, and unfortunately, not everyone can be privy to them. With that, he gives a couple of nods. Being a man himself who has uh, been around a lot of these kind of like sneaky rulings and knowing about leaders having to, you know, make sort of shifty moves to get things done, he gives a couple of nods and he says, very well then, I'll respect it. Erlade, please, do we have any soup or anything to tend to our friends here? And with that, a curly head sort of moppish, moppy kind of hair looking guy with a big bed of curly black curls on his head comes running over. He's probably only about five foot seven, but he looks built enough that he looks like a guy who's done hard labor in his life. But he comes running over with something of like a small stew pot that's got a metal handle to it. And he comes running over to you guys with four little serving bowls, dented and beaten as if these are the ones that survived. And he scoops a few spoonfuls into each of them and hands them over to you guys with bent spoons and whatnot. It's sort of like a chowder, very runny. And he says, it's the best I could offer you. I've been doing my best as a chef, but my place has always been a hunter. I caught the squirrels myself. The secret recipe is squirrel. Had a lot of it. Sorry, Anthony, were you saying something? I was. Yeah, so uh, Borrow just commented that he's eaten worse. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot that's a little thing to just mention horror stories of the road. And he says, <laughs> No, 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 I promise you, I promise you. I've learned a thing or two from hunting in the woods of how to prepare squirrels so well you'd think it was chicken, which is no small feat, especially not for squirrels, for they have the smallest feet of all. But he says, My name is Erlade Shinay. If there's anything you need, I promise I can help you. And with that, the uh, ringleader here, the guard there that was in charge, steps out and leaves you guys alone with Erd laid over here by the fire in one of the tents that they've cleaned out and set up for you guys specifically. And with that, he says, would you like me to tend to the horses? Perhaps I can brush them off or, or feed them. Maybe maybe address their hooves, clean things out. Uh, mine is temperamental. I wouldn't get too close. Meanwhile, Bendar, she's just the angry eyebrow. Just looks over at him like, I'm not cleaning that one. The evilest of all of them is just the random horse in the stall. But anyway. Uh, Erdley, you do not concern yourself with mine. And with a snap of his fingers, Vesturch just dispels his phantom steed. And with that Erlade's face illuminates and he takes on a very serious tone. And he says, I knew you were adventurers, heroes nonetheless, but such acts of magic. That is impressive, my, my good man. Uh, Forgive me for saying this, but are you headed to the spell sanctum? Uh, that's also in Denvilboro, isn't it? Yes, I believe we may have some business there. And he gives uh, Erlade a wink. And with that, he 
sort of unknowingly like nods along like, ah, good, good research. I, I shan't ask more questions. I know this is a secretive thing for, for mages like yourself. The only thing I can say is, frankly, as much as I know they need me here to procure squirrel, I really want to adventure myself. A young I promise man. you, I'm an excellent shot. I can I can earn my keep. I'll hunt. I can I can I can survey for traps. I can figure out many things along the road. I may look young, but I'm well tread, and I I I'm 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 worth every pound in gold. A young man such as yourself, who has seen such horrors, would willingly travel with three strangers he's never met. How pure of a, heart. This is an age of heroes. Indeed. Those who are pure of heart go far and go well. Yes. And I prove myself, I promise you, a paladin's vow. I am purest of heart. And I will do anything to protect my kingdom and my people. Even if it involves, as he looks down the soup pot, procuring food where you cannot tread on an empty stomach. Uh, Vesterch is going to use the message cantrip to, to Barrow and just say, perhaps we can use him. Does message let you respond? Yes. And can reply in a whisper that only you can hear. Yes. And the same thought has also crossed my mind. Uh, but he's going to look at the guy. Uh, how old does he appear to be? Probably about 23. Very boyish, but 23. Yeah, he looks like a stable hand. Barrow looks him up and down. Um, such an oath is not sworn lightly. He says, With all due respect, do you question my metal? <laughs> Just yes. <laughs> Unsheathes the glaive. I do. Have you have you fought in a proper battle before? I helped these people escape. The Iron Maelstrom was was much, but with well placed shots, I managed to to curb an entire onslaught of soldiers, men made of metal and sewn back together. I shot okay. many in the front lines to trip the ones behind them. I bought us a few moments to get out of there. Not much, as he looks around him, but enough. No small feat, but a desperate flight for survival is not the same as battle. Can you stand in a place from which you know there is no escape and face down an enemy charge to come out alive the other side? He looks around the camp and he says, every day we wait for them to come for us. I know my time is limited here, and that's why I'm so willing to swear an oath. For a person dies with honor in their heart, it will go amongst the stars. That's what my dad used to say before he joined the Tome Guard. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and how he loved the flying buttress. You said his name was Erle what? Erle Cheney. Erle You've got potential. And if you would travel with us by your master's leave, you may. Very well. I'm sure he'll understand. He seems to be also pretty well persuaded by your greatness. 
However, I expect strength and discipline to match your lofty oath. You seem like a well-grounded teacher. Somebody I could learn much from. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Girl thing to you. I mean, Vesturch has been doing it since day one. I don't know what you're... Yeah. Doing. <laughs> um, this is bread and butter. Vesturch would like to look around the camp and see if any of the tents look particularly ramshackle or leaky right now in the rain. All of them look pretty ramshackle and leaky. Even the one you're in is probably the best quality, and it already has a couple of old squirrel pots that are being filled up with plinking water driplets. Erlaid, if you would be so kind, I know it is a bit late, but if there's anyone you can think of in this camp who would be particularly ill-suited to be out in these elements, even in these tents as you have provided, I believe I can offer them comfort for the night. And with that, he puts his hands to his hips and he says, this is truly a deed of heroes. Many of the elderly that we have saved are not doing well in these conditions. The cold is biting and their bones are not faring well. Perhaps truly, I understand. Out. And so with that, he gives kind of a knowing nod and he says, I can lead you to their tent. If you wouldn't mind. Come right, along, so basically, Benny. Going to go repair some of these tents? Uh, no, I'm going to cast uh, Tiny Hut. Okay. Uh, so Even that, better. Yeah, so that we can all sleep out of the elements and the elderly or whoever it is can as well. Okay. So that you conjure a Tiny Hut. How does that look to conjure it? Uh, so Vesturch pulls out his spell book in the tent that he will be casting it around and sort of like focuses on himself and reads ancient texts. You can tell that he's speaking a couple different languages uh, that if anyone else speaks them, it bounces between Elvish, Draconic, and at one point a little celestial and when he finishes, he just snaps the book shut. And as the book snaps shut, expanding outward from it is a sort of magical force that ends up creating what looks to be a small domicile or hut that would that keeps out the rain. And suddenly the temperature rises to something much more comfortable and everyone can just start, you know, drying off and resting. Okay. And so with that, people are ooing and aahing the entire time as the hut is created, and the leader here of the gang comes running up to your side, and he says, you work miracles. Truly, you are blessed. We cannot thank you enough for this magic. Of course, you will be staying in here, and he sees you already kind of shepherding with Erlade, many of the elderly, and he says, truly, your kindness is unbound. He says, how could we ever repay you? Mm-hmm. In these trying times, one must always give what they can. Who knows what kindness given will turn into. Fair enough. (laughs) And so with that, the party, are you resting here for the entire night and getting out in the morning? Or are you staying only for a few hours and then ditching? Preferably a long rest, yeah. An entire rest. Be good. 
So that the party sleep soundly for the evening and awaken to the smell of Erlade's newest stew, uh, something kind of twiggy, kind of nutty with some little berries nestled into it, sort of tart and a little minty, but it's a, it fills you up pretty good with some bits of uh, old moldy bread that have been stale enough that you could probably snap them by smacking them on a table hard enough. But it's, it fills, you know, and you can tell Erlade is very proud of what he does and people are happy to eat it. For a group of refugees from a destroyed and decimated home, they're all very grateful for the gifts they have in their little society. And as Erlade prepares one of the horses that the leader gifts him on his journey to Denville to help you guys in whatever your quest is for the queen, they all give you guys a, a high sign and sort of give you, I don't know, good graces on your way. Is there anything else you guys want to do before you leave? I'm going to cast, let's see, Mage Armor. (laughs) No, just a bunch of preparatory spells. So Mage Armor. I'm also casting uh, Faithful Hound, which uh, you conjure a phantom watchdog uh, that remains for the duration. It, It is invisible to all creatures except you and can't be harmed. When a small or larger creature within comes within 30 feet of it without first speaking the password that you specify. Uh, The hound starts barking loudly. The hound can see invisible creatures and into the ethereal plane. It ignores illusions. And then if any hostile creature ends its turn within five feet of me, uh, it'll make an attack against them. Okay. Cast, oh. more, cast more kind people Yep. I just grabbed the faithful one instead of the mortar kind one, but yes. Yeah, the uh, brand faithful hound. And uh, yeah. good doggy will set the password to his last name, Olegu. Okay. Do they know it? Yeah, I've told all our traveling companions. Even Erlade? Yes. Okay, so everybody's going to utter the password when the time is right. That way we don't have to worry about that. Um, okay. And so if that's it for the preparations, the party follow the road seamlessly all the way to Denvilboro by about midday. Uh, the rain has come to a stop, but the ground is very spongy and squishy with a cold, cloudy sky overhead. And again, not many leaves on the trees. Small, tiny green buds seeming to form as you guys are traveling this way. But approaching Denvilboro, you can tell that the town itself is pretty well in shape. It doesn't look like this place has been touched by the Iron Maelstrom or any of them. And moving into this settlement, it seems like a, uh, I don't know, a pretty well-to-do place. Erlade seems very excited about this. And he says, so tell me, where are we headed first? Who must we speak with? Well, we will likely be making our way into the spell sanctum there he says you'd be able to get into such a place well that is part of the mission it is our job as heroes to find a way in for if there's an item of great importance being held there Shall we speak with the mayor about entry, or are, are you given the entry purely at the door? Well, old research has something he'd like to try. 
And then I would like to ritual cast divination and ask one of the gods. I suppose it would be Shythene, the god of poison, venom, and camouflage, or Takana of hunting and stealth. Either one. They're both going to be sort of what we're doing. How can we get into the spell sanctum undetected? And so would this be something of a vague answer? Uh, you ask a single question concerning a specific goal, event, or activity to occur within seven days. The GM offers a truthful reply. The reply might be a short phrase, a, crypt- a cryptic rhyme, or an omen. The spell okay. doesn't take into account any possible circumstances that might change the outcome, such as the casting of additional spells or the loss of gain of a or the loss or gain of a companion. Okay, so I guess my question is, did you want to have advice from Takana or, for Sh- or from Shythene? Mm, did we want I... the poisony venomy answer, or did we want the hunting one? Can I get a history check with, uh, which would likely give us the least difficult, or I suppose the, whichever one will give us an answer that's more reasonable. I mean, I imagine Shythene is probably closer to what you're looking for. Like barbarians okay. and, and folk of the woodlands would probably talk to Takana more of like fighting a foe, whereas Shythene oh, that's, is... Uh, hunting and strength. I thought that was hunting and stealth. Yes, you're right. Shythene is the one I'm looking for. Okay. And so with your divination spell going off, lighting incense and communing with the stars so far away... Shaitheen gives you just one ominous vision in your head of the best way, spoken only in a metaphor, as she seems to make it known that in a fight with a deadly serpent, the teeth are not what kill the man, but instead it's the venom. And truly, the best vehicle for killing someone is not what you would suspect. It's not the wound that kills them. Meaning, I guess in a strange and backwards way, she's hinting that the key with which to enter such a place is not going to be in that place. Meaning elsewhere is the weapon. Yes. Well, perhaps we shall speak with the mayor. He might have some insight into what we seek. Okay. And with a place like this that's pretty well walled in and pretty well bustling, you can see in the distance something of like a, a walled manor. Sort of reminds you of when we were back in Glen Gabora with the uh, large manors in the distance. But yeah, there is clearly the spell sanctum is easy to see here as it's the one big university looking building. But there's also, like I said, a walled off area that has something of like a structured fortification around it with a manor inside. So it's no question that that's probably where the mayor, I mean, the Baron himself is. So would you like to just head directly for that place? Unless anyone else has other ideas. Unless something like stands out to borrow as we head there. Probably not. 
Okay. And so with that, the party approached this place after about 30 minutes of walking through the town. Again, the people look very well, like, protective of themselves, seeing a group of strangers walking in here, riding on spooky horses with an invisible dog growling at people. I'm one of those, like, fake horses <laughs> that look like an invisible dog. Um, and so with that, as you guys are coming in and getting looks and approach the fortified wall, a couple of guards wearing Denver Burroughs heraldic symbol, um, you guys can see that they sort of block entry to this place. And one of them steps forward and says, Halt, what is your business here? Our business is pressing and also personal. You would like an audience with the mayor. If the baron is to speak with you, you must have an appointment. Not every rabble rouser who comes in here demanding some sort of a speech with the baron is going to get it. You're going to have to be a little bit more specific than that. How do we make an appointment? Well, I'm afraid for those who have to ask are those who are not going to have one. Perhaps in the next life, good friend. Now, I believe I have some information for the Baron about the location of a group of refugees from Glent and Gabora. This young man is one of them. I would hope he would hear our request to allow them at least the safety of living inside your town's walls while they try and put their lives back together. I'm sure you've heard the terrible things that have befallen both of them. They're okay. citizens. And, and with that, both the guards kind of look together and, and start to nod and they say, very well. And Erlade has the most heartwarming like smile to his face as if like the good guys have come to save them. And with that, he gives kind of like a joyous like, all right. And so with that, he leads you guys in happy as a clam to be to be going up this way to speak with the Baron himself. And with that, you guys make it to the inner sanctum here before the manor and a couple of guards wearing more regal attire, less functional, more regal. And they themselves with glaives halt you at the door and they say, we shall go get the Baron for you. What name shall we provide? Rahal. Vasturch Olegule and his traveling companion, Bendarshi Taranhook. And with that, Erlade speaks up and he says, Erlade Shanae. <laughs> and with that, he's like, I've never had to welcome myself. But with that, they sort of give a nod. One of them steps in, leaves for like two minutes, and comes back out. And he says, you may follow me. And with that, he leads you into the manor, walking past many uh, paintings on the walls, many busts and statues adorning the entryway. As a spiraling stairwell loops up to the second floor, and you see a wide open way here with a couple of comfortable couches set up and a second story uh, chimney that has a very warm fire. And a round and stout man with short black hair combed to the side and a nice little trim mustache says, Well, hello. I hear you have news of refugees. And with that, Erlade says, Yes, we, we do. Oh, sorry. Please. And he gives kind of a, a nod to Vesturch and sort of tries to help get everybody to sit on couches as he figures this is the format that we're supposed to be using. So he tries to lead everybody in as he hurriedly jumps and sits on one of the comfy couches. Oh, please forgive our young or laid here. He is 
well, he has seen quite troubling things and is eager to help the people. Yes, there's a group of 40 or so refugees about a day's travel from here on an old road between Mosfrin and Denvilborough. And I believe, well, if you have the capacity and the kindness, you could help them out. And with that, giving a stern, very much so like a leader's look to you, sort of measuring you up as he answers in a very stern, unwavering voice, he says, the kindness of Denvilborough is not something to be questioned. We would love to take in these refugees, as every town in the nation, every people, all are welcome within my walls. Indeed, the spirit of Amaroth lives well within you here. Every time you say that, it still feels very wrong, because I know what you mean when you're saying it. But anyway. Now, we do have another reason for this visit, not quite as important as the safety of those poor displaced people, but for that, Erlade, I would ask, perhaps you could wait outside the room for a moment. And with that, he gives kind of a weird look to everybody, and he gives a knowing nod as if like, oh, the secret quest. And so with that, he's led off and down to the downstairs where he can't hear anything. And you hear a door open and close in the distance. The mayor, I mean, the bear in this whole entire time, giving you guys all a measured look as if like, wait a minute, why can't the squeaky kid hang out and hear this part? And so with that, he says, I'm usually pretty good at reading people. And I'm usually pretty good at keeping my town under well regard and well observance. I've never met any of you and I've never heard of any of you. Your names confuse me. Looking at you alarms me. Something's not quite right here and I want you to speak of it now. Can I make a history check on the name Menden Eldwall? What so I sort of could get an idea of him, his family, that sort of stuff? Sure. Fuck. Actually, I have an inspiration still, right? Yeah. Fuck yeah. 23. Goddamn. And so with that, I mean, you know that Mandon and all of his fathers and even one of his, you know, mothers have run this place. Um, it's, an, it's a pretty old location, almost as old as Cooperford and Glory Wake, dating back a few hundred years as like a very unified barony. Um, he has very tight connections with the queen. Um, but as of late, obviously that's not the case, but knowing him and his parents, he's part of a very regal family known for very honorable deeds and a very stern as steel kind of way of handling things. He's like a tough dad. You know what I mean? When the door is mm-hmm. closed, he's like, who do you think you're messing with kid? You know what I mean? So the search will lean back in his chair and actually, no, he'll lean forward. And look seriously at uh, Mandan and say, now I understand how lucky we are to have this meeting at all. So I won't cut around or try to hide our intentions. The three of us seek access to the spell sanctum. There 
lies underneath it something of great importance to the leaders of Eagle Heart. And I understand that it is in the jurisdiction of the Tome Guard currently, but the Tome Guard don't serve Amaroth. They don't serve anyone but themselves, their ideals. And while that does offer a convenient protection and gives your town an esteem that I will not deny, there comes a time where crown, country, and people come before ideals and lofty goals. So I'll give you advantage on rolling a persuasion check on that. Fucking. God help me. Woo! 17. His eyebrows did a roller coaster of motions. As you mentioned, rulers of Eagle Heart, and he's like, yo, the queen is like my pal. Like, I'm one of the only people who welcome her. So he already was giving you like an incre- like a incredulous look of like, I'm come again. And as you kept going through your story, he went through emotional states of like, this is ludicrous. This is nonsense back to like, okay, what are you getting at? And then as you mentioned the Tome Guard and like their place and all that, and knowing the state of the nation, he says, all right, you have my ear. The spell sanctum has been a thorn in my side and every one of my parents' sides. Everyone who's ruled this place has had to take good care of such a place. What is hidden beneath there are magical secrets that only they understand. Yay. Many scrolls, potions, and artifacts have come from this very spell sanctum. Much wisdom is hidden in those halls. But the tomes beneath, the dungeon beneath, the last clerical chamber where Amphines herself was dwelt. I do not know what is down there. The secret died with my father's father, the last man to enter the place and exit. All I can say is this. If you are here on the Queen's decree, what is it you seek down there? We're looking for the very heart of the God you named. And so with that, he, he looks to again with like a look of like, this is ludicrous. Like he just, it's almost blasphemous to think that you could go take the Holy Relic from there. And he says, even on the queen's decree, she would not think to, to the gods come before all wars. The gods will always be, especially a God in decline as the constellations breach. Why does she need this? Of that, we do not know, only that it is of utmost importance that we retrieve it. So I can imagine you have an idea or two about the power such an artifact might contain, what good it can do. I've only heard legends. The healing might of the perfection of crystals, the holy glimmer from Alias himself. And now the stars speak through the crystals in that cavern. But again, it is not something to be just touched. It is not a place that you go into haphazardly. 
I can do my best to offer permissions to go down there, but the Tome Guard have their own rulings. I'll do the best I can, but in all honesty, between you, me, and the good word of the Queen herself, the Tome Guard at times step outside of their reach here, much as you have said, and I think that place, you'll have to convince them more than convince me. I'll give you my writ of permission, and I'll grant you that. But whatever it is that you have to do to get into there, the queen comes first. Country comes first. Lofty ideals and the Tome Guard and their ways, it's not worth more than human life. Not one bit. Vesterch smiles, a warm, gentle smile. <laughs> it is so good to know that the people here have such a wise ruler, someone who truly understands that the times we live in, they are not for holding to beliefs. They are for taking actions that will have results. Indeed. I guess in a time like this, when the Herald of Steel himself has come to these lands, the best we can do is act. So I will have the writ. I will give it to all of you. And I wish you the best of luck with dealing with them. And with that, he scribes on a piece of paper, a writ of permission for all of you. And as he waves you all to leave and greets you in the direction to uh, where they were holding onto Erlade, um, you guys are all kind of guided out of this place. Unless you all wanted to say something to Mr. Baron before you leave. Okay. And so with that, you guys are led off to the university-looking library of the Spell Sanctum. And we are going to end part one of this bonus quest as you all see Tome Guard warriors protecting the entrance to the Spell Sanctum Library. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.